Hey y'all, welcome back. Today's episode takes us to Northeast Texas in the small rural city of Atlanta, where the bodies of three little girls were found in a nearby pond. Their deaths were originally believed to be accidental drownings, but almost a year later, the Cass County District Attorney announced that the children had actually been murdered before they were placed in the pond. If this is the first time you're hearing about this, that's not surprising to me because their case has not gotten the mainstream media attention needed to help bring their killer to justice. There aren't a lot of details about this case, but I will share with you what I learned so far. I will be surprised if you leave this episode with dry eyes, but this is a story that needs to be told. These girls and their family need justice, so let's do our part to help. Those listening from the Texas-Arkansas border, y'all especially tap in because this is happening in your neck of the woods. Also, for those who want to hear my sister and me discuss this case and share our theories, keep listening until the very end. Now, let's get into it. I'm Renetta Rideout, and this is Massage and War Murders. Like in most parts of Texas, it's hot in the summertime and kids are out of school and free to roam around their communities in all manner of ways. Some zip down the street on bikes or run on foot to local parks, fields, or woodlands. Some opt to sit on the porch swing, straining to feel the cool lick of a breeze across their dewy faces. Regardless of the activity, kids are generally free to do their own thing while their parents work. It's a freedom some city kids can't fully understand because it's different in the big bad metropolitan cities. It's so very different from the 5,100 person city of Atlanta, Texas. There, you don't have to worry too much about the safety of your kids. Hell, I bet some people living in the more rural areas probably don't even lock their doors. In a city that small, everyone is bound to know everyone. And if you don't know someone, you probably know someone who knows whoever you don't. Folks are close like that, and their families have lived in the area for generations. Between 5 and 6 p.m. on the evening of July 29th, 2022, Zyariel, age 9, Amaya, age 8, and little 5-year-old Tamari, along with their three other siblings, video chatted with their mom, Shamanique, while she was at work. Shamanique is a single mom to six kids, and she works three jobs to make ends meet while she attends school. This particular job is in Texarkana, which is about 25-30 minutes north of Atlanta. She's a certified nursing assistant, and she took a quick break to check in on her kiddos who were being babysat at her house by her 31-year-old cousin, Paris Props. The kids were in trusted hands and at the moment were eating dinner while they watched TV. All was well when Shamanique's call with the kids ended. So when she received another call several hours later, she couldn't wrap her head around what the caller said. 
At about 9 p.m., Paris called Chamonix to tell her that, quote, the kids are missing, end quote. Naturally, her reaction was, what are you talking about? What do you mean the kids are missing? I'm not exactly sure what else Paris told her in that moment, but whatever it was, it was not enough information. It was like he didn't know the details, like which kids were missing and how many of them were gone, which is obviously strange, right? All she knew was that her children were missing for about an hour and the police still hadn't been called. So she leaves work and calls the police like a normal person as she's racing home. While on hold with the police, she also got in touch with her aunt, Paris's mom, Lamisha, and asked her to go to the house and see what's going on. With that accomplished, she was able to give her full attention to talking to the police and getting home in one piece, which, thank God, did happen. She arrived home and heard her aunt calling for Zaireo, Amaya, and Tamari, but the sound was coming from a place she didn't expect. They sounded like they were coming from a neighboring land where not even she had ever been to, and she'd lived there all her life. While she briefly wondered about that, she was greeted by her 10-year-old daughter, who I'll call Jackie for this episode. Jackie filled Shamanique in and led her to where everyone was looking for the girls. Now, the timeline gets a little fuzzy from here because it was only very briefly mentioned by Shamanique in an interview with Nancy Grace that unfortunately has since been removed. But while looking for the girls, Shamanique noticed Tamari's shoes were stacked neatly on top of each other, like in an X formation. The way the shoes were arranged immediately struck her as strange because none of her kids had ever stacked their shoes like that. Not once, not ever. Not long after Shamanique arrived did the Cass County Sheriff's officers arrive and they called the Texas Rangers, who actually are running point in this investigation. Having also spotted Tamari's shoes, I imagine they wanted to preserve the evidence to the best of their ability, so they ushered the family back to their property. With them being out of the way and being questioned by other officers, search dogs were brought in and they picked up on the girls' scents. The scent trail led them to an open field that has a small pond. There was an abandoned girl's bicycle and various articles of clothing. As they continued to search the area, they noticed there were footprints along the pond's edge, prompting them to make the decision to search the pond itself. It was a grim thought, but it's possible the girls decided to break the rules and visit the area that they knew they weren't supposed to be in for a cool dip in the pond on a hot summer night, and maybe found themselves in a dangerous situation. The dive team provided by the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department began their search of the pond and made a very, very tragic discovery. At about 1.30 a.m., they recovered the body of one small child matching one of the missing girl's description. Meanwhile, back at the house, Shamanique and her family worried endlessly, waiting for news that all the girls had been found alive and well. But when the sheriff finally returned, the news he brought with him wasn't good. Shamanique told Nancy Grace that the sheriff informed her that they found some articles of clothing in the pond and wanted to know if they belonged to her household. 
They showed her a picture of some children's jackets that had been tied together, sort of like a rope. Shamanique recognized those jackets as belonging to her children because she'd just thrown them away earlier. They had been in the trash can when she left for work that afternoon. How they ended up at the pond and tied together like that was a mystery. Then the next part came. The sheriff told her that they found the body of one child in the pond. He described the child to her, and based on that description, she identified the body as belonging to her eight-year-old daughter, Amaya. The news that one of her angels was dead was too much for Shamanique, and her heart broke, literally. She went into cardiac arrest and had to be rushed to the nearest hospital where the doctors performed life-saving measures. When she awakened later, she received the final knife to the chest when she was told that her other two babies, Zyario and Timari, had also been found deceased in the water. She doesn't remember much about what happened next because the doctors had to sedate her for her own good before she had another heart attack. When I heard her say that in the interview, I cried. I felt so awful for this young woman who's only in her mid-twenties and has worked so hard and struggled so long to raise her children to the best of her ability, only to face such unfathomable loss. Sadly, this was not her first time suffering the effects of a heart attack. When her mother died in 2021 from complications caused by COVID-19, Shamanique had her first heart attack. It seems like when she's faced with the shock of sudden, unimaginable grief, her body reacts in one of the most destructive of ways. But somehow, this young woman manages to pull through each and every time. She is motivated to keep going for her children, and that motivation sees her through. Unfortunately, I can't provide much information or context about the immediate days and weeks following the girl's death because there really wasn't much reported after their bodies had been found. I could only find articles that reported that there were three drowning deaths of the young sisters. There was not a mention of autopsies, actual causes of death, what were the events that led the girls to that remote pond at night, what the babysitter had to say, nada, literally nothing. It seems like publicly everyone just assumed these girls must have wandered near the pool and accidentally drowned. However, that's not what it seemed like to their mother. From day one, Shamanique tried talking to her cousin Paris, who was the caretaker for the children, but at every attempt, he'd avoid talking completely. In fact, Paris hightailed at home to his mother's house as soon as he possibly could and refused to answer any of Shamanique's questions and none of the police's questions. And for whatever reason, it seems like that's simply where the police left things I mean, I know folks have the right to remain silent, but it doesn't seem like the police applied any pressure at all. It's almost like Paris was just like, nope, I'm not talking, and the police were like, okay, cool, take care. I really want to hope that's just the perception of things and not the reality, but damn, it doesn't seem like anything is going on at all. Due to the lack of action by the Texas Rangers, the perception was that there was no foul play in the children's deaths. 
But that is hardly how things appeared to Shamanique when it came time to prepare for their funerals. As you can imagine, seeing her little daughters lying in tiny caskets was no easy feat. She was consumed with grief and confusion, and when she saw the condition of their bodies, the wheels in her mind began to turn and dread settled in. Amaya and Tamari both had cuts on their faces, busted lips to be exact, but otherwise their faces were unharmed and looked normal minus those cuts. Maybe those cuts came from the struggle of trying to avoid drowning. You know, like arms and legs flailing in the water could have resulted in both girls sustaining those cuts. Who knows, right? But when it came to the older child, Zyariel, the condition of her body told an entirely different story. According to Shamanique in that Nancy Grace interview, Zyariel's beautiful face had suffered what appeared to be a horrible beating. The beating was so severe that a whole section of her skin was missing and her face had to be reconstructed on that side. It was obvious this baby suffered gravely before her death, and yet this was never mentioned to Shamanique at all. In fact, no explanation whatsoever that I could find was offered by police or the medical examiner. She was completely blindsided by the signs of violence on her daughter's faces and questions flooded her mind. What happened? Who did this? Why did this happen at all? What were the circumstances that led to their deaths? These were all questions that needed answers, but those answers never came. And Shamanique and her remaining children were left to wonder about what all transpired. We do know that one child, the four-year-old, told police that she saw her sisters walking into the woods that night with Paris. But because the child is so young, the statement isn't very credible. It would be much more meaningful if the elder children had seen the same thing. But Shamanique never mentioned that, and I haven't read anything anywhere that reports that either. Zyariel, Amaya, and Tamari were laid to rest and sent off with much love from those who knew and cared for them. The church was filled with mourners there to say their final goodbyes to the three babies who once had their entire lives ahead of them, and then suddenly those lives were inexplicably taken. While there was hardly a dry eye in the room, There was one person who was completely unbothered by these deaths and the impact they had on everyone else in attendance. And I bet you already know who that person was. Yep, Paris. Dude was so unbothered that he actually slept, yeah, slept, through the entire service. Like, he just said, fuck it, and I'm gonna go take a nap. And that was that. Of course, everyone saw that, and I'm sure it caused a stir, but when Shamanique mentioned it to Nancy Grace, she didn't go much further into it, but it definitely rubbed her the wrong way and pretty much spoke volumes about him. But despite her suspicion, nothing happened after the funeral. 
No updates about what happened to the girls came her way. Meanwhile, she and her other children were left to pick up the pieces of their shattered life. Fast forward to March 2023, and it's been nearly a year since the tragic deaths. And suddenly, there was news that set this investigation on a completely different path. Cass County District Attorney Courtney Shelton made a public announcement that the deaths of Zyariel, Amaya, and Tamari, originally thought to have been tragic accidental drownings, were in fact homicides. The girls' autopsy reports revealed that all three children had been strangled before they were placed in the pond where they were later discovered. So during that conversation with Nancy Grace following this announcement, Shamanique said that in addition to the strangulation, all three girls had been sexually assaulted as well. This was not and has not been mentioned anywhere else publicly though, but you know I went down the rabbit hole. I wanted to know if they found any DNA evidence and whether or not it had been sent for testing. And then I happened upon an article written by Natasha Anderson and Stephen M. Lepore for DailyMail.com that quoted D.A. Shelton saying, quote, multiple witness statements have been obtained, DNA testing is ongoing, and the investigation will continue, end quote. So there we have it. Some type of DNA was found and collected, and hopefully soon those results will be in. Now, in that statement, the DA also said that the investigation has been underway ever since the girls were found in the pond, but that remains to be seen. Now, you're probably confused as fuck and wondering why this is just now coming out eight months later, and you're not alone. Everyone wants to know how this was missed. Did the medical pathologist do the report and the Texas Rangers simply fail to read it? Or what? Like, how did this go unnoticed for eight months and why? It's absolutely infuriating and someone needs to be held accountable for this egregious oversight. But who? There were 511 different law enforcement agencies involved in the case, from what I can see, and no one wants to take responsibility for failing to do their due diligence with this case. And just like my blood is boiling as I say these words, I can only imagine how much more enraging and upsetting all of this is for Shamanique. She wants answers that it doesn't appear that she's getting, so... She ultimately accepted the help of the new Black Panther Party's Quanell X to apply pressure on law enforcement for answers and action. You may remember Quanell X from his advocacy for Felicia Marie Johnson in Houston a year ago. While you may not agree with everything he or his party does, I for one appreciate the fact that they do lend their voices to help with cases like this. I watched some of the press conference he and his organization held with Shamanique standing next to him. As Quanell conveyed his righteous anger over the fact that the police blatantly disregarded the murders of these three babies, I couldn't take my eyes off of Shamanique, who quietly twisted her fingers together as she shed silent tears. 
The profound sadness in her eyes struck me and somewhat distracted me from Quanell's urgent message. I just wanted to give her a hug and hold her hand. I don't know why, but seeing her up there just hurt my heart so much more. Somehow I felt her grief for a brief second and it was tremendous. And then to know the police chose not to act to pursue justice for her kids must have just been like a knife to the gut. Even now I shed tears for her. I just can't even imagine how she must feel and just any of it really. Anyway, I digress. Quanell X's message was simple and clear. There's a child killer running around the small community of Atlanta, and no one has been looking for him. He went on to say that everyone, regardless of their race and social status, should be outraged and horrified by these murders and the obvious disregard law enforcement has about them. The whole community should be in an uproar because if those three precious girls weren't safe in their own homes, then how can anyone's child be safe? The police have failed to seek justice for these children and the lack of action is giving botched investigation vibes. Why aren't these girls' names and faces flooding local and national news outlets? Why weren't there any demands for action? Why weren't there any demands for answers or justice from anyone besides Shamanique? Where's the reward for information about what happened to these girls? The answer is obvious to me, as it probably is for you. These were three little black girls living in a rural area and being raised by a single mother of six. It wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if racism and respectability politics have been heavily at play in this case, which if that is the case, it's absolutely inappropriate and unforgivable. Meanwhile, Paris Props is still maintaining his right to remain silent at the behest of his mother, Lamisha, which is a special kind of cringe in my opinion. And just as an aside, walk with me a little bit, this is not the first child of hers in some horrible legal shit. Her other son, Kevin Shepard, AKA Kevin Props, was just convicted of a double homicide in June 2022 after nearly four years of an open investigation into the murders of Cynthia Arnold and Donnie Combs. He was previously charged with their murders along with his uncle, Gary Shepard, but so far only Kevin has been found guilty of capital murder and was tried by the same Cass County DA who announced Zaireo Amaya and Temari had been strangled. Anyway, the point of this tangent is to highlight Lamisha's statement to the press about her son's conviction. Quote, I kind of figured it was gonna go this way because we live in Cass County and that's how they operate, end quote. She went on to say that naturally they plan to appeal the conviction. Now, I interpreted that statement to be a subtle reference to the racism alive and very well in the justice system, which, let's be real, it exists. However, more than one thing can be true at the same time. Let's not convolute reality by waving the race card when it's convenient. It's completely disrespectful and dismissive to the victims and their families when people do that, and I, I really can't stand it. 
You can support your child without trying to distract from their bad behavior. So I guess with this type of air quotes protection, it's not surprising that Lamisha would adamantly advise Paris not to cooperate in the investigation about the girls or to even talk to Shalmonique. Clearly, Lamisha is more worried about protecting her son than she is about helping to find out who murdered her nieces. I truly hate when shit like this happens and there's some woman in the background supporting the ill deeds of men. It really, really, really pisses me off. But such is life, I guess. As of now, the investigation into these three murders is still open. Like I said, Paris still isn't talking, his mama is still protecting him, and Shamanique is still grieving the devastating losses of her babies with no justice in sight. She's been the subject of ridicule and harassment online, all while trying to be strong and devoted to her children, who happen to still be alive and well, thank God. It has been a long, hard road for them, and it likely will continue to be so for quite some time. If you feel so compelled to help, I've linked the family's GoFundMe page in the show notes. A little can go a long way to help this family. And if you want to make some calls and send some emails, you know that's always a welcome call to action for me. I think the public needs to light a fire under this investigation and start pressing for some serious answers immediately. Who knows, the added pressure could be the pressure needed to make Paris finally talk. Like, we don't know his side of the story. And we still need to find out. If you want to do that, you can call lead investigator Josh Mason at 903-236-8419 or you can reach out to the district attorney's office at 903-756-7541 and lastly you can even call the Cass County Sheriff's Office at 903-756-7511. At this point, just gone on ahead and light up their phones because what we're not going to do is let what happened to Zyariel, Amaya, and Tamari go unpunished. This is the conclusion of the main part of this episode, but if you want to hear my sister Kendria and I talk about this case, keep listening. Hey, welcome to the after show discussion. And today I am joined by my big sister, Kendria. She is a pioneering nail tech out of Las Vegas and also another true crime aficionado. So I invited her on the show with me today to talk about this mind-boggling and heartbreaking story. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Okay, so... Let's get into it. Now you pretty much know everything that I do. So tell me your thoughts now that you're all up to speed. Oh, God. My mind is just blown. I mean, for most of our conversations, as you know, I found it a little weird, the cousin's involvement, the whole not speaking. After listening to that interview, I'm like, oh, my God. And I truly believe that 
the death is accidental and I think that harm to one caused the harm to all three. Okay, you accidental. Okay, so why do you think accidental, especially after hearing what her mom had to say about how uh, Zyariel's body looked? Like, how can you say that? Accidental meaning, it's not meaning accident like it's an accident, meaning I don't think they, I don't think the intention was to kill. I feel like in my gut, I feel, especially hearing that all three children were assaulted, I really feel that the death was from, especially the oldest one, trying to defend or get the attacker away from the two smaller kids just because how severely she's beaten. I don't think she was the initial target. I think the two little kids were the initial target. You think the two little kids were the target? Interesting. I do. And I think that her beating is from her trying to save them. That makes a lot of sense to me. I guess I can see that now that I'm thinking about it. I hadn't looked at it from that perspective because it does make sense that she would be the one to be beaten more because she can put up more of a fight. Well, I mean, well, Amaya is only a year younger than her. She's eight or she was eight. So yeah, but you know, if you like you and I, even though we're sisters, we're raised separately, you know what I mean? Because of the Mm -hmm. age difference. But if you watch other siblings, regardless of how close in age they are, the oldest one is always the one put in charge and is always held responsible if something happens. That would explain the fight, how much, why she would fight harder. Right. I can see that for sure. That makes sense. So you think then that his whole objective was to assault or molest the girls, the younger sisters? Yeah, one of them. I think I think one of them was the target. One, because of the lacerations on them, those are all before they died. None of them are postmortem. So I'm going to say one was like maybe mouth taped, something like that. Because if it's one person, it's kind of hard to assault three people all at one time. Right. So I'm thinking that one of the two younger girls was mm-hmm. the victim or being assaulted at the time while the mm-hmm. other one was being detained and the oldest one either maybe gets free, stumbles upon them, something. Because it would make sense, like, if the two younger ones wandered off for some reason and then she discovers it and goes after them. Mm-hmm. Especially since the cousin is in a whole nother room, not even paying attention, because why are they in the mom's room watching TV when he's supposed to be sitting there? That, to me, says, what was going on in the other room? I'm positive with six kids, she has more than one television. Yeah, well... See, that's the the thing, too, you bring up, like, about the babysitter. Where was he? What was he doing? You know, what what, what was happening in the house after Sean Monique spoke to the kids? But, like they said, no one knows. Only he knows what happened because he's not sharing what he knows with anyone else. And to me, it's like, all of that could be true that... You know, because I know earlier before you saw that interview, you were like, yeah, I really don't believe that he did it. But it's like, if he didn't do it, why hasn't he told his side of the story? Actually, I can say that after listening to that interview, um, oh, I think he is so involved. Somehow, some way, he's involved. Um, either he knew the person maybe the person is another relative 
something is going on because this and then I'm also even thinking could he even be the perpetrator because it's not uncommon or unheard of for a family member to assault another family member in that order you know in that manner it's not unheard of so he ran home to his mom the mom basically told him he's not to talk she told the police he's not talking to you even told them you can't come into my house basically go get a warrant and then you can talk to him which you know some mothers have I get as a mom you have unconditional love but I also feel as a female if your kid did something horrific like that that's pretty crappy for you to to shield them but something's going on because he ran home to the mom the mom's telling them not to talk so where's the rest of their family like what has all this done to their family dynamic why did he go to the funeral and fall asleep what the hell is that a normal right. person would be so overwhelmed with guilt mm-hmm. and just even feeling like everybody was staring at them because you know you were the last one to see them did you do it do you, you know it just doesn't that whole went to sleep thing that doesn't add up to me so is he like taking some sort of sedatives was he on sedatives the day they disappeared Hmm. there needs to be more info on what's going on with him because I can't picture I mean have you ever been to a funeral and seen anybody sleeping I have never (laughs) yeah well that's why it stands out and it makes me even more like suspicious because and appalled that no one's like interviewed him or put like I understand that when they they refuse to answer questions that it kind of puts the police up against the wall but they can still question him he just needs to get an attorney I'm not saying to harass him but they could be more aggressive with their approach from my understanding they tried to talk to him that one time and that was kind of it like there's not really anything else the mother said that the Texas Rangers investigating, you know, the lead detective on this wants her to do the interviewing of her family and people in her circle. And it's like, why are you having the a victim in this whole scenario conduct those interviews? You should be doing that. So it's like, what's even being done? Like, who's trying to get answers to these questions? Why doesn't anyone know? So... One of the things that stuck out to me when I watched that interview is that when Zyriel was found and it was obvious that she had been beaten, the big question for me is where's the blood? Like, there's no blood. They don't mention any blood on the scene. They talk about how the dogs were brought in um, to search. That's how they found the first shoe that led them to the pond. It was because of the canines. Did the canines also find any blood? I mean, you would think that there would be some blood somewhere around there or at the house, which from what I can see, I don't know if the house has actually been searched. I haven't heard that in any interviews. I haven't read that in any of the articles that I've come across. Like, I have not heard that. So it's like, where is the original crime scene? And if it is in that pond area, then where is the blood? Because there has to be some. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's at either of the locations. And the reason why is the shoes. And what about the shoes? The shoes being stacked the way they were stacked and the jackets being tied were the jackets used to like tie, like bind them all together to get them to wherever they were. 
you know, to get them to the edge of the pond. I mean, like that just, that whole jacket and the shoes for whatever reason, hearing her, like I kept going back and rewinding it to listen to that part so that I could get a real visual in my head. And that being found at the crime scene, the way it was found doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's because of the shoes why my mind spirals away from the cousin, the babysitter. Um, Because to me, that sounds very ritualistic. Let me not say that word. To me, that sounds very um, intentional. Like there was time to, to literally stack up the shoes, not to just take them off in a hurry, but to stack them up. And so that's why, to me, I kind of think I, I want to go towards some unknown perpetrator having done this, because to me, that's just weird. The other thing that makes me think that is there was only one girl that had shoes on when her body was recovered. We don't know which girl that was, but we do know that Tamari, the youngest, the five-year-old, she did not have any shoes on. Two of them did mm-hmm. did not have shoes on and one did. I'm kind of wondering if maybe the older girl, like this is one of the theories that I have. Perhaps uh, Zai Ariel went to, you know, went outside for whatever reason, because maybe she's the one who had shoes Mm -hmm. on and whatever happened to her happened outside. And maybe her two younger sisters saw or came outside to see what she was doing or whatever. And then they all got caught up. I don't know. It kind of doesn't make any sense when I say it out loud, but it's like between the shoes, all of them not having shoes on kind of is weird to me. And then the fact that the jackets, we know that they were thrown in the trash. Now, I don't know if her mom threw them in an inside trash or an outdoor trash. trash. My mind goes to outdoor trash because if it's indoors, why would you need to go to the trash to get, if you're going to kill someone, just kill them with what you have on hand. Like you're going to really take the time to tie up these knots and make a rope out of something when you're probably wearing a belt or there's a belt close by or maybe shoestring. Like, I feel like there's more in the house. Why would you go outside? So that kind of made me think that it was someone outside to begin with who somehow got access to these girls. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe the cousin wasn't paying attention. Maybe he was off smoking or cooking or watching TV or talking on the phone, like you said. Um, And he just didn't notice that three of them were gone. So I kind of spiral when it comes to the shoes and the jackets. Well, and another thing, as you're saying that, with the six kids, I get that some are older, but where are the other ones? Was he only babysitting the three? No, he was babysitting all six. That's the other thing. And one of the kids is 10 years old. The eldest child is 10. So I have been wondering this whole time, well, what did the other kids notice? Well, what I found out was one child said that they saw the cousin take the girls out in that direction in that field. All three or just a couple, one or two? She said that she saw the girls go with him. So we don't know which girls. We're assuming that it's these three, but it could have been maybe one or two. We don't, I don't actually know. Um, But that child is only four years old. So the police were like, eh, not a reliable, credible witness because of the age. So I don't know if the 10 year old saw anything. Don't know. 
the other one of the other ones is a baby like one or two year old one or two years old so that only leaves one other kid who's old enough to like talk and i believe that child is six or seven years old because they're really close in age like they're like 10 9 8 7 yeah five and then the little baby like they're very close in age um so yeah but none of the other kids the mom said just the one four-year-old so I don't know. That's the other thing. Where were the rest of the kids in the house? Well, again, that goes back to them being in the bedroom. Like, like my when I heard that part, like it made me think, okay, well, maybe the cousin is entertaining somebody or somebody's visiting there in the living room, and, or maybe the kids were fighting, so he split them up. Like, I go back to, okay, the mom wasn't there. If the mom was there, I could see them all hanging out in the mom's bedroom, watching TV, having their dinner. But the mom's not there. So that does make me wonder, okay, well, why are they in that location having dinner? To me, it it kind of makes sense that they would be in there. I mean, I remember when I was little and I would be with, you know, some of my cousins on my dad's side, we would be in my TT's room or in somebody's room watching TV or whatever. So for me, that's not the weird part. I can see that happening. Like, nothing to me seems abnormal about that. But what I do find abnormal about the whole thing is that this male cousin is the babysitter. Like, that was something that I kind of got hung up on, too. And please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that men can't babysit children. But it just kind of, it's odd. You don't really hear that. So it kind of made me wonder about that. Like, was this the first time that he'd ever babysat them? Um, because something that um, Shamanique said to Nancy Grace was that Paris went back to his mom's house. Like that was a language she used, which kind of made me think maybe he had been at her house. Like, I wonder how that whole arrangement came up with him watching these six kids. Like, did he live there at one point? You know, I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. I haven't heard anything about it, but I feel like that would be a part of the story, but it sounds like none of these answers have been gotten about these types of things, which to me just sounds like regular background work. Like you do kind of need to know who all the players are, who live where, how did this arrangement come to be? That hasn't been even, those questions haven't even been asked from what I can tell. So it's just really frustrating because we don't know if the cousin did it or some other person, maybe the cousin had company over, a friend, a a co-worker, a neighbor, or some other family member, like who knows? We don't know who else was in the house. We don't know really anything about anything that happened after Shamanique talked to the kids. And it just, it just kind of has sat there. Were there sex offenders in the area? If those girls were sexually molested, we need to be looking for sexual predators, right? From what I can tell, I don't know if they've done that. They haven't said that they've taken those steps. So I don't know. And the big elephant in the room is, why the fuck did it take almost a year to say that these girls were murdered? Like, what are we doing with that? <laughs> why did why did it take that much time to identify that? God, Those girls have been buried. So that means that that autopsy report just sat on somebody's desk. Like, legit, nobody reviewed it, obviously. Well, yes. And do you think that this is just me thinking? Like, is it possible that the original detective person that 
was a case was given to? Did they retire? Were they on vacation at the time of that? Did they die? I mean, what? It, nobody's got a reason for why it took so long. Even when she did the interview with law enforcement, they were like, nobody seemed to have an answer. Yeah, no one does have an answer. Um, and those people that were in that interview with Nancy Grace, they weren't affiliated with the case, but they were like experts who had done similar casework in their previous careers. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, law enforcement never has offered any kind of explanation. And it kind of makes me wonder if Shamanique ever suspected foul play. I'm assuming she did, considering, oh boy, the cousin Paris doesn't want to speak up about what happened. Um, But she said that she was surprised when she heard the, like how their cause of death, that she was surprised. And, um, that she, it sounded like she didn't, I kind of got the impression that she didn't expect that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I wonder what was even said when the girls originally died. Like, did they literally just, did they say officially the girls died due to drowning or did they just leave it like that? Um, Because Shamanique is insistent that those girls would never have gone over there to play. That is not an area that they're familiar with. She has grown up there and lived there her whole life as their mom. And she never knew that pond even existed. She said there would be no reason for those girls to go over there. I mean, it's quite possible that they did go over there and their mom just didn't know. But even still, she was really insistent. So I wonder if, I mean, I'm sure she had to in the very beginning suspect something, but just not know what to expect because dude hasn't been talking. Um, but I guess that's why the the you know the new black the new Black Panther, if I could speak English, the new Black Panther Party got involved to kind of help them raise awareness because the question is like, why did it take almost a year to say that these girls were murdered? That means that you had eight months of wasting time, eight months of evidence tampering, eight months of all the things getting away. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. there's some child killer out there and nobody knows who it is. No one's being held accountable. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but Nancy brought up a point, like there was a murder where um, like a predator saw the kids from somewhere else. And if it is like some serial killer beginning or in the midst of their spree that maybe saw them because of the fact that this place is so isolated that, you know, her family growing up there, she didn't even know existed. That would make sense too, especially considering, again, the shoes, you know what I mean? The shoe thing gives it so many different angles, Yeah, I agree with you. The shoes definitely do, you know, there are some implications with the shoes and the lack thereof. Um, the, the, The crossing of the shoes, that to me, it seems so intentional that I went, like I literally spiraled out of control on that for a minute because I just wanted to see if there were other, you know, cases in the area that talk about the shoes being stacked on top of each other but I couldn't find anything. Like I found other cases that mentioned shoes. And to be clear, this case didn't mention it either. In any of the things that I read, only their mother mentioned it in that interview. So it's possible that it's one of those details that maybe police are sitting on because 
it's one of those like key identifiers that can be used to validate things that come in uh, related to the case. So, but I spiraled because I wanted to know like if maybe that's, if it was some random off the street or someone who's taking mm-hmm. advantage of an opportunity, some serial predator, maybe they've done it before somewhere else, but I couldn't find anything. It, I, I literally go back and forth. Like whatever happens with this case, whatever the outcome is, when it finally comes to pass, I will not be, I don't think I'll be shocked in either way. Like if it's proven that Paris actually did murder these girls, that won't surprise me, hold him accountable, unbothered. But if it turns out to be like he has been proven to not be involved and no one related to the family, then that won't surprise me either. Because to me, both scenarios have hallmarks present in this case already, you know? So we shall see. But, you know, I'm really disappointed that these three babies did not get the national airplay that they deserve, that they didn't, their, their investigation hasn't gotten the, the attention and the, the diligence that they deserve, that we know would be reserved. If these were three little white girls, we know that they would be busting their balls trying to solve this case. And, you know, it really breaks my heart. So... I'm glad we were able to at least talk about this investigation and hopefully raise some awareness and keep their names circulating in 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 the internets, you know. But I think that's pretty much everything, right? Oh, I actually had to come back with this update because yesterday, June 5th, 2023, Revolt Black News Weekly posted an article that featured an interview with Shamanique regarding the murder of her daughters. And I know I mentioned in the episode and in the conversation with Kendria that It was unknown how long Paris had been babysitting the kids. Well, it turns out he had been living with them for two whole years and had babysat them numerous times on multiple occasions. It was expected. So it's really, really strange that he would all of a sudden do something like this. Now, I'm not saying that he did or didn't. I don't know. As I mentioned before, it wouldn't surprise me in either scenario, but it does just seem really strange and out of the blue. And it makes me go back to wondering, did he have company over? Was Who else was there, if anyone? And the fact that he's not talking obviously doesn't help anyone. But there could be so many reasons why he's not talking. It doesn't necessarily mean guilt, but you know, if it was me and I know I didn't do anything, I would be saying something. And the fact that he's not saying anything definitely doesn't make him look good considering he was the person that these children um, were being taken care of by in their mom's absence. So the other thing that I want to quickly update you about is in this same interview, um, it looks like they also interviewed the district attorney for Cass County and were told that, well, I'll just read you this whole little bit from this part of the article. Um, 
quote, the Cass County DA told RBN there had been a delay in the autopsy, which allegedly caused the late notice about a child killer still being on the loose. However, in a press release shared three weeks after RBN's call, the DA's office reportedly said the preliminary autopsy report stated homicide was the cause of death. Both Wickerson, that's Shamanique, and RBN had the requests for a copy of the autopsy denied, with the latter being told it was due to it being an ongoing investigation involving minors, end quote. So you see that the DA can't get their story straight. At the end of the day, this was pure negligence. There's no reason why eight months later this information is just coming out. That's just pure negligence. That's just pure systemic bullshit. So that's all I have for Roe this time. I just wanted to give you that quick update and I didn't want to have to re-record everything that I have already recorded and edited. So now you know all that I know in totality. So let's just keep our eyes and ears open and hope and pray that some justice will come to light here and bring Shamanique some closure, at least in that regard. As always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit massagenoirmurders.com to sign up for the newsletter so that you stay in the know. And I'll catch you next time on Massage Noir Murders. Savvy Sounds production, written and produced by Renetta Rideout.